In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. This is the housekeeping section of the podcast, and as such, it is the type example of my life. So, just to say this, this is going to be another CD episode. I'm almost there. I'll just leave it at that. The record player is sort of assembled, but the speakers aren't plugged in. I've got the records put away, more or less. Might be missing a box. Uh, We'll see. But uh, I think it's mostly together. But I need to finish assembling all my bookcases and putting my books away so that I have a place to put the speakers, and then I need to run wires. And this is all temporary anyway, because I still have it painted. But anyway, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Why Though, a personal journey through my record collection. This is the show that asks that most important of all questions, why is this record in my collection, and is it any good? My name is Benjamin Jacobs, the confused owner of the records and host of the show. This is episode 16, Pick It Up Pig Boy by The Stuff. I bought this album at Princeton Record Exchange. Of that, there can be no doubt, because only at Princeton Record Exchange can you find albums like this. The Stuff, according to an American copyright law and Wikipedia, were an American jazz funk band during the late 1970s and early 1980s. But that's not the band that I'm talking about today. Today's band is The Stuff, a Swedish garage punk band whose album, Pick It Up Pig Boy, came out in 2005. They released several others. The band consists of Magnus, Johan, Urban, and Lars. Of course. These are the most Swedish names in history, as far as I can tell. When they first got together, they performed in giant soft rubber rat masks exclusively, but they stopped this pretty quickly as it was not a comfortable way to play. Nonetheless, their bio reads as follows. The Stuff originally met in the vast sewer system connecting Europe's major cities. They attended good schools, but it was no use. As soon as they saw the chance, they broke their gilded cages and headed for the wild. Once there, they honed their skills, sharpened their fangs, and repeatedly broke their E-strings. There followed a time of confusion and tangled shoelaces. Then suddenly, one of the rats came down with recording sickness. The other rats, themselves sick, worry, located erratic studios and mouse, and decided on a pilgrimage to save their ailing friend. When they arrived, however, the studio wasn't there. They went back home and discovered that Mausel was missing too. As a last desperate attempt, they recorded an EP, hunched over and quarreling in an underground hovel. They turned all the knobs and then some and finally managed a noise. Then, they forced us to go to therapy and now we realize we're not rats, just four Swedish men. This has been a major shock and we feel absolutely furious and must, must, must express ourselves. Right. Now. So we're playing live gigs to let it all out. The rats, or, I mean, us, I mean, we are really looking forward to seeing only for you. Stay tuned. If it sounds like I'm padding this out a bit, that's because I am. What I have told you is basically everything I know about this band. They were obviously popular enough to have a CD make it to Princeton, New Jersey, but they never seem to have gotten written up in the NME or Pitchfork. The music journal quotes on their website seem to be from publications that long since folded without any online trace. 
It looked like they were still together in a band as of December 2021, but they don't seem to have made any albums or played any shows since 2018. So why do an episode about them? Well, this is easily one of my favorite albums ever. I don't care to put a number on it, but if I had to flee into the night, this would be one of the CDs I saved. This is one of the dangers of being into indie rock. Actually, I need to go into that more. Liking indie rock can mean that you just like music classified as such by the recording industry. And look, that's fine. I like that stuff too. But if the label indie means anything, if the term has any significance in tying together all the bands under that label, it has to be more of a process than a genre. This process is something it shares with punk rock, but maybe it's a little older and wiser and more artistically sophisticated. In any case, in my estimation, liking indie music means understanding that there's a process for discovering music, understanding that the music pushed by the record industry is not necessarily the best there is, and thus feeling the need to push yourself to have a discovery process that seeks out quality outside of the traditional record industry system. In some ways, it's easier than ever to do that today. Thanks to the internet, it's easier than ever to avoid the top 40. But that doesn't necessarily make it easier to find and support quality music, especially new music. Now, we are beholden to discovery algorithms on our different platforms, and that means that all new artists are now not only in competition with each other, but with all of music in recorded history. As such, the chances that you will have a song catch your interest and you'll look more into that band is, is getting kind of remote. You have to be a special kind of person to pursue the rest of their work, and most people won't ever do that. But I do. That doesn't make me better than anyone, it just means that I find meaning in music and investing myself into a relationship of some kind with artists. And when I find a work that really rises above the rest, I get very into it. So it was with this episode's album, Pick It Up, Pig Boy. This album nails a very delicate balance in bringing together garage and punk influences. This may not seem too difficult, as the genres are musically similar, resting on a sort of solid rock and roll basis. But the thing that this album is does not come off as two things squished together. It is absolutely seamlessly both simultaneously punk and garage at the same time. The album has an absolute confidence and energy that is intoxicating. It never slows down, but it also never quite falls over the edge into punk buzzsaw guitars and screaming. In fact, the guitarists are really very talented, putting in place rock-solid riffs that never sound forced. The vocals are perfect and match the rat persona of the band with a kind of sneering nasal tone that is simultaneously edgy enough to be interesting and melodic enough to be catchy and not make you want to drive something into your ears. I don't know why I said it like that, but I'm, I'm sticking with that take. The rhythm section is just amazing. Their sound is huge, extremely syncopated and reverby in a way that makes them impossible to ignore, but the rhythms are, again, catchy and arguably even danceable. Every track on this album is great. I'm going to link the whole album on YouTube in the show notes. The standout tracks for me are We Don't Care, Your Libido, Plup Plup Please, Look At Her Go, and Bad Day at Blood Beach. And You Feel So Real, It's Surreal. And uh, Say Goodbye. You know what? All of them. All of them are amazing. Every single track on this album is great. The album art is similarly perfect, and I think really nails the tone this band is going for. They are absolutely mocking the tropes of rock and roll, but they do so from a place of love, and most importantly, they do it by playing the joke 100% straight. As such, the band on the cover are doing a perfect rendition of a garage rock or a punk album cover. The band are standing in an industrial setting with strong color contrasts, in this case a doorway with a huge green metal doors, framed by tan brick. 
The band are wearing black leather jackets and blue jeans, adopting a series of poses that are supposed to convey individualism, as no band member is looking in the same direction as those to either side. But actually, this just means they alternate. One looks left, one looks right. The band member on the right is looking down and right and standing straight. The next band member is standing straight and looking up and to the left. On the left side of the frame, they are leaning, with the next one over looking down and right and the guy all the way on the left looking up and left. It's a perfectly posed album rock cover. They look tough. They look awesome. It's artistically framed and laid out in a photograph, and they are wearing giant rubber rat heads. <laughs> the rat heads look angry and tough as well, but also completely ridiculous. And that is the point. This whole layout is mocking a rock album cover, but it also is in love with the standard rock album cover and in some ways is asserting that even though that this cover is a bit tropey, there is still something heroic and valuable in that level of absurdity and over-the-top youthful assertions of individualism, even by probably 30-year-old men. The lyrics obviously continue this theme. Probably the best example I can give quickly is the song You're So Real That It's Surreal. The full lyric being... You feel so real that it's surreal, that's why I love you. You know I'd beg, borrow, or steal just for you. The verses involve doing a lot of rock and roll lifestyle things, like drinking in parking lots, or running from the authorities. At least in my view, this is a pretty direct love song to rock and roll itself, with full knowledge of how ridiculous it is to love an abstract concept because of its reality. So, why didn't these guys get bigger? Well, let me turn the question around. This album came out in 2005, the same year that Nickelback's Photograph was lighting up the pop charts. Photograph is one of the most widely mocked and reviled songs in human history, if the internet is anything to go by. What kind and loving god and ordered universe would allow Photograph to dominate the airwaves while a masterpiece, like Pl Please, barely got a music video? It's a great video, by the way. It involves a guy in a chicken suit watching stop-motion videos of plucked grocery store chickens and getting aroused. Anyway, um... Oh yeah, well, it turns out that pop chart success is massively complicated. You can easily appeal to the old yarn of just because Ben likes something doesn't mean it's objectively good, and yes, sure, I'm a weirdo. But pop chart success isn't a measure of popularity either. It's a measure of what record companies were able to successfully market. The background of legalized bribery and influence peddling in the relationship between the record industry and the radio industry is out there for anyone to learn about. Just go look it up. Uh, feel free to look up the Wikipedia article on payola. Long story short, it's sort of illegal to bribe radio stations to play your song, but there's so many loopholes as to make the laws impossible to enforce. And in any case, no one punishes white-collar crime anyway. Also, by 2005, there were only two or three companies controlling the entire radio business in the USA. Local DJs had lost all control over their playlists, and mall or department store CD stores had hilariously limited selections. So you get a situation where consumers were given a fairly limited selection of music to get into, unless they were the kind of person to go that extra mile to read underground musical publications or, like me, just randomly buy things from the $2 rack at Princeton Record Exchange as their method of finding new music. I'm not the first person in the world to point out the disconnect between popularity and quality. The entire hipster subculture exists due to arguments about that observation. But what I want to ask today is... What happens when those hipsters get old? What happens in a hundred years when everyone who ever read Enemy when it was written on paper has died? When someone writes the history of American popular culture in a thousand years, they will be able to talk about the Beatles and Elvis, and you know what? They will probably have access to Photograph by Nickelback. The possibility that they will find a copy of Pick It Up Pig Boy by The Stuff is fairly slim. 
How many masterpieces like this have come and gone over the course of human history? Works of art that were massively important and impactful to those who experienced it, but now are just gone. Probably a, essentially an infinite quality. We're making more unloved classics all the time. And there's nothing we can do about it. This is just the nature of the human condition. The nature of art, in many ways. The best we can do is enjoy these things while we have them, and maybe share them with others and hope that they like them as well. Did I mention the YouTube thing in the liner notes? It's in the liner notes. One final note. Given the pittances that streaming services pay and the ongoing collapse of the live music industry, I really don't know what the future holds for musicians at all. But this situation is artificial. It was created by an industry suicidally devoted to profits and local land use laws that are wildly disconnected from reality. Humans will always need to create music, and people will always want to enjoy that music. Hopefully, after the record industry fully collapses and land use laws are forced to change by the ongoing anonymization of our society, there will be something left, and we won't just be standing, starting over from scratch. If you're at a place in your life where you can do so, please support local musicians and local music venues to make that happen. And uh, I just put this out there. There are streaming services that aren't entirely awful to the, the artists. I'm a big fan of Tidal right now. There are others that you can look up. YouTube's actually pretty bad, but, you know, everyone has access to it for free. Spotify is awful and is actually controlled by a consortium of record companies, which I'm not sure how they haven't run afoul of antitrust laws yet, other than the fact that we just don't enforce them anymore. Anyway, that got grim. I don't know what the next episode's going to be, but I will let you know when I know. As always, links in the show notes to the music I referenced here. Be well, everyone. Don't dwell on things too much. And as always, I hope you find the answers you seek in your record collection. 